My name is Scott Nye, and this is Talking Radical Radio. wondering what's the best way that we can help others take action and do so in a coordinated way. You know, just one person taking action is amazing, but it's so much more powerful when it's done in a coordinated way. And you can see that there are people all over Canada taking the same action on the same day. That's the voice of Kate Turner. She and Chantal Peltier are today's guests on Talking Radical Radio. This show brings you grassroots voices from across Canada. We give you the chance to hear many different people who are involved in many different struggles, talk about what they're doing, how they're doing it, and why they're doing it, in the belief that such listening can strengthen all of our efforts to change the world. On last week's episode of Talking Radical Radio, I spoke with Jennifer Wickham. She is a Wet'suwet'en land defender who's centrally involved in her people's struggle to protect their territory in northern British Columbia from the Coastal Gaslink, or CGL, pipeline. The Wet'suwet'en people themselves are, of course, the central agents in that struggle, and their voices are what the rest of us should center as we learn about it and make our own decisions about action. With that in mind, I encourage you to find last week's episode on TalkingRadical.ca, MediaCoop.ca, SoundCloud, or any of the other online venues where the show appears. But as Wickham herself discussed, solidarity from indigenous nations across so-called Canada and from settlers has been and continues to be crucial to the Wet'suwet'en struggle. And this week's show focuses on one such example of solidarity. In late 2021, the RCMP was conducting militarized raids against Wet'suwet'en land defenders. Those land defenders issued a call for solidarity actions, and that call reached both Kate Turner and Chantal Peltier. Turner is a climate justice organizer living on unceded Ganyangehaga territory in Georgiage, or Montreal. And Peltier is a retired speech and language pathologist living on unceded Anishinaabe land in Gatineau, Quebec. Today, they are part of the Decolonial Solidarity Campaign. For Turner, the first step was talking with other climate justice organizers in Montreal about what they could do. They developed a vision of not just taking one-time action themselves, but of creating some sort of movement infrastructure that would support people in many different parts of so-called Canada in taking action, regardless of their level of prior experience with activism and organizing. So they circulated the Wet'suwet'en call to action with their own offer of support. When people responded, they connected them with a coach in their region, who could then offer ideas and advice for putting together an affinity group and planning an initial action. They also created a toolkit with resources explaining related issues and discussing possible actions. Initially, the Decolonial Solidarity Campaign was considering targeting a range of different institutions that are complicit with the CGL pipeline. In consultation with Wet'suwet'en land defenders, the campaign soon narrowed its focus specifically to the Royal Bank of Canada, or RBC the fifth largest investor in fossil fuels in the world, the largest in Canada since the Paris Agreement was signed, and a massive financer of CGL. Peltier was one of the people who responded to that callout. She was new to activism and organizing, and she found the supports from the campaign to be very useful. The small rally she helped put together targeting a branch of RBC in Ottawa quickly turned into an affinity group that has been acting together ever since. 
The successful initial cross-Canada wave of actions took place in November and December 2021. Then in the spring of 2022, the Decolonial Solidarity Campaign took up another call for action from the Wet'suwet'en to target the RBC Annual General Meeting. And since then, they've encouraged affinity groups to adopt a branch of RBC to regularly target in their actions. The details of those actions vary a great deal, but the overall goal is not confrontation or blaming employees and customers, but rather building relationships to draw them into the movement, or at least into voicing their own questions about the role RBC is playing in contemporary colonization and in the climate crisis. The campaign has lots of affiliated affinity groups across the country, and involves people coming to the movement from lots of different contexts, and they continue to offer resources and supports. Best of all, according to Turner, their network is growing and, quote, all of this is starting to have an effect, end quote. Multiple groups and campaigns are targeting RBC these days on multiple fronts, and based on the bank's media interventions lately, she said, quote, they're on the defensive right now, end quote. I speak with Turner and Peltier about what it really means to act in solidarity in principled, accountable ways, and about the decolonial solidarity campaign's work in support of the Wet'suwet'en land defenders. My name is Kate and I live on unceded Kanakahaga territory in Jojage, which is also known as Montreal. And I've been working in various grassroots climate justice campaigns for the last four years. And since November, 2021, I've been working on the Decolonial Solidarity Campaign. Our goal is to have activists adopt Royal Bank of Canada branches all across so-called Canada, and start a process of talking to employees and customers and slowly bringing them into the fight to stop the coastal gasoline pipeline. How I came to this work was in 2016, I was teaching AP environmental science at a small American high school in South Korea even though I don't actually have a background in environmental science, but I was teaching it anyway. And that experience was really, really hard for me. It was a very heavy topic and it was really hard to face my students who were all in grade 11 or 12. And, you know, they were just starting their adult lives and so excited about the future. And I was always kind of desperately looking for good news to give them. Teaching that class, that was a moment for me to really wake up and realize that my assumption that the people in charge were handling something as huge as climate change was just a completely wrong assumption. And that there are movements of people all over the world who are building power to take our future back. Teaching that class really forced me to come to grips with what Western capitalism has done to the planet. And I feel like I really woke up at that moment. So when I moved back to Jojage, I started getting involved in the climate justice movement. And that has brought me up to today with this campaign. I live on unceded Anishinaabe land in Gatineau, Quebec, which is just across the river from Ottawa. French is my first language, thanks to my mother. She grew up in St. Boniface, Manitoba, at a time when it was illegal for schools to be teaching French. So when we were growing up, she felt very strongly that we should speak French because she had to sort of struggle to keep her language. So I think because I value the importance of language and communication very much, I became a speech and language pathologist. 
So I worked for 35 years with people of all ages having communication disorders and helping them. When I retired two years ago, I wanted to do something different. And I decided to take a couple of courses on the history of Indigenous peoples in Canada. I always wanted to learn more about why the history we learned at school didn't talk very much about them. So then I heard from a friend about a webinar in which Indigenous land defenders would be speaking out about arrests that had been made in BC. That webinar was in December of 2021, and that's when I joined on to the Decolonial Solidarity Campaign. And I found that with the Decolonial Solidarity Campaign, well, the focus was really on forming little groups of people who want to, in the same area, work together. And the nice thing is that as a little group launcher, as an affinity group launcher, I was assigned a coach who helped me figure out what to do to get started. And that was really, really helpful. Given that last week's interview was with Wet'suwet'en land defender Jennifer Wickham, we don't need to go into a great deal of detail, but for listeners who come across this episode on its own, give a kind of quick recap of the CGL pipeline and the struggle against it, and then how it led to the founding of your campaign. The Coastal Gas Link Pipeline is a 670-kilometer-long pipeline that would carry fracked gas, which will be obtained from northeastern British Columbia, and it's to be carried all the way through Wet'suwet'en territory into the Kitimat area, where there's a huge liquid natural gas transporting facility that's being built at the same time. The river Wet'suwet'en, that is right now being tunneled underneath, forms part of the Skeena watershed. And the Wet'suwet'en is a salmon-bearing river that is central to the economy of that region. And it's the primary life source. It is the source of clean water for the Wet'suwet'en people. It's actually one of the last pristine rivers in Canada that's never been dammed, that the water can still be taken straight from the river. For many years now, there has been resistance to this construction by Wet'suwet'en land defenders, including the six hereditary chiefs, none of whom have given their free, prior, and informed consent for this project. When this campaign started in November 2021, the context of that was there were raids being conducted by the RCMP on the territory of the Wet'suwet'en, where the construction is taking place. This territory has never been ceded, and that is in fact recognized by not only Wet'suwet'en law, but also by Canadian law. In November 2021, the RCMP was conducting raids on the camps that had been built and were being occupied by land defenders. They went in with automatic weapons and attack dogs, and they arrested, I believe, about 32 people, violently arresting people with guns pointed in their face. Many Indigenous women and Indigenous elders were arrested at that time. And that is when Giddington Checkpoint, which is one of the resistance camps, issued the call to action that inspired this campaign. When the call to action came out of Giddington Checkpoint, myself and some friends that I knew from organizing in the climate justice movement in Chojage for other campaigns, we just started talking about what we could possibly do. We were really 
interested in figuring out how we could mobilize other people to take action as well. What's the best way that we can help others take action and do so in a coordinated way? You know, just one person taking action in front of an RBC is amazing, but it's so much more powerful when it's done in a coordinated way. And you can see that there are people all over Canada taking the same action on the same day. So we first came up with the concept of a distributed support structure which was a layer of coaches who were going to be each matched to up to five different affinity groups. And we tried to group people by region as well so that there was more opportunities for people to actually build community. Another part of the support structure was we created what we called a toolkit, which was a quick background primer on the situation and then also a list of ideas for actions and how to get connected to your coach and you know how to protect yourself with certain digital tools and security practices. At first in the campaign, we actually had a lot of different options for who we were targeting, and that included the Royal Bank of Canada. But very early on, we got in touch with one of the West Wind land vendors and had a strategy session with her. And under her guidance and the guidance of other land defenders, we wanted to align our strategy more closely with their strategy. And so we refined our campaign to be just focused on RBC. And Chantel, how did that play out for you at the local level? During the call for action, there was a place where people could click to respond that they would be willing to launch an affinity group. That's what I did. I gave my name and my number, you know, and I would assign to a coach. And then I was told to plan an action for four days away. The call for action was on December 14th, and the plan was to have an action as soon as possible. I was with a friend at that time who had also attended the call. So both of us decided, okay, we'll pick a certain branch of the RBC. And there was a toolkit given to us with graphics that we could use to make signs. There was a manual that we could read about the context and what had been going on. So that was really, really helpful. So it was very easy to take the first steps. And what happened in my case was that I registered the action, the little rally that I was planning at a bank of the RBC in Ottawa. I registered on an action network map. And so when I showed up to the bank with my friend, surprise, three other people were there who were asking for me who wanted to form a group with us. So that's how my group got started. Go into more detail about the supports and resources that the campaign offered to people who wanted to take action. We've been inspired by a lot of other campaigns that have had a lot of success in the environmental movement. One of the campaigns that we're inspired by is the Sunrise Movement based in the U.S. They had a lot of success with a coaching structure for something that they were calling strike circles. And I believe this was focused on supporting high school students to take action for a climate strike and set up affinity groups in high schools all over the United States. They have a lot of great resources and trainings out there on how they did this and how and why it was successful. So we were really learning from them and modeling our structure on them. We really wanted this campaign to be distributed because we had this ambitious vision that it was going to happen all over Canada. 
And so we knew that we would need to provide some kind of support for people that was fitting for their local context. That was really important to us as well. Because, for example, I live in Chuchage and I don't think I would be very successful at coaching somebody for how to take action in like Gatineau or Toronto. If I'm not familiar with the local context and who my allies are in the community and just how people feel about these types of actions in the community and what's the best way to approach people, I'm not going to be a very effective coach. What is it about the Royal Bank that made them the right target for this campaign? RBC has been found to be the fifth largest investor in fossil fuels in the world since the Paris Agreement. And in Canada, it's the biggest investor in fossil fuels. It has invested something like $6.8 billion in the Coastal GasLink project. Overall, RBC is the majority lender to the Coastal GasLink project, and it is a really strategic target that is part of the strategy of the West Wind Land Defenders, which is why we are also focusing there. But they're also, as Chantal mentioned, the number one worst bank in Canada for fossil financing. And they've loaned $262 billion Canadian dollars to fossil fuel projects just since Canada signed the Paris Agreement. And not only have they lent the most money to these projects, but the amount of money that they're lending annually has actually gone up since Canada signed the Paris Agreement. And that included a 51% increase in Tarsen's financing in 2021 as well. How has the campaign taken action and grown since that initial wave of activity in late 2021? There was a big jump in April when a second big call to action was sent out to coincide with RBC's annual general meeting because some shareholders of RBC had voted to present a motion to include respecting the right to free prior and informed consent for extraction projects <laughs> that didn't go through. And at that time, that's when the Adopt a Branch campaign, in my memory anyway, when it was launched across the board. And since then, at least my group and many other groups across Canada have been having very regular actions, always at the same branch, just to keep hammering on the nail. Yeah, the Adoptive Branch campaign is something that happened uh, a bit later on. It wasn't part of our initial concept for this campaign, but it was something that we introduced during our second mobilization push. I think there's been a steep learning curve as well for figuring out how to have conversations with people Overall, our goal is to bring employees and customers into this movement and to provide the facts about the situation and to mobilize people to speak out about the situation, either in their workplace or speaking out if they're a customer at their branch, talking to their manager. So figuring out how to have those conversations with people and how to bring them in, I think has been something that so many of our affinity groups have learned how to do. And a lot of affinity groups have had a lot of success with that. We also have an anonymous survey that we ask customers and employees to fill out to let us know their thoughts about the coastal gasoline pipeline and about the lack of free prior and informed consent. 
one person who said they were a customer of 40 years called RBC's choices appalling. We had customers who were inspired to immediately go into the branch and also talk to the employees about the information that we were sharing with them. We had also an RBC branch manager fill out our survey who said that they felt complicit with the bank violating Indigenous sovereignty. Just a side note there, we do not believe that employees should feel guilty about this at all. And we recognize that employees don't have any decision-making power at the corporate level. Our goal is really to bring employees in and not to be confrontational with employees or customers of the bank. What have the actions by Decolonial Solidarity Campaign affinity groups at RBC branches looked like? Oh, the actions can be very different from one place to another, from one week to another. Usually people have had, you know, posters stating what's happening. They've been chalking on the sidewalk. Our group actually did uh, a couple of street murals on the sidewalk or setting up a table with a sign, you know, ask us about RBC and fossil fuels, encouraging people to come and talk to us. The focus is really on engaging people to come and have a conversation. One thing as well that we're hearing from people is that there can be a lot of value in taking the time to establish a rapport with the people at the branch and really build a relationship with them. And then over time, you can really build something once you've established trust in a way. So there is a lot of value in going back for repeated visits to the branch and taking the time to let employees get to know you and then get to know them a little more. I think a lot of RBC employees and branch managers have experienced protesting at the bank before because it's been known for a long time that RBC is the dirtiest bank in Canada and there has been a lot of grassroots action mobilizing towards putting pressure on RBC to divest from the CGL pipeline. So a lot of employees have experienced protests before and it can sometimes take time to build that relationship. Where is the Decolonial Solidarity Campaign as a whole at right now, and where is it headed? When drilling started under the Wedzinkwa, that was a major shock for a lot of people. That's why there's going to be another call to action pretty soon eh, to step up the campaign even more. We are growing, and we are hosting an event soon, which we hope will sign up tons more people to adopt more RBC branches all over Canada. We're also trying to support affinity groups to grow their own group and find more members and more allies in their community. So our vision is to create a network of settlers all over Canada who are ready to throw down when the wet sweat and land defenders issue a call to action. In the longer term, we're gearing up for RBC's next annual general meeting with shareholders in April. And we have some evidence as well that all of this is starting to have an effect. RBC has lately been on the defensive. They're getting hammered on all sides. There are protests happening outside of their corporate offices all the time. There are reports coming out from NGOs that are tracking their every move and tracking their performance in various net zero alliances that they're part of and calling them out for their greenwashing efforts. And then there's us as well, 
trying to get at them from the inside by pulling employee and customer support away from CGL. So they are on the defensive right now. And I think that's a really good indication that all of this effort in the entire ecosystem of resistance is really having an effect. So now is the time to take action. And now is the time for us to grow and mobilize more people, as many as we can, so that we can all put pressure on them in a coordinated effort. Draw together for listeners the importance of solidarity with the Wet'suwet'en people and talk, based on your experiences in this campaign, about what it means to do solidarity well. I can quote Molly Wickham, known as Slato, who said in the call to action in December, you want to fight for climate justice? Stand with us. Every time you stand with us, we are more powerful and they can't ignore us. That really spoke to my heart. And it said to me that if people all over Canada stand, there's a chance that we'll be able to achieve truth, uh, to have reconciliation, right? We have to acknowledge the truth before we can speak about reconciliation. Acknowledging the truth means seeing what's happening out there, even if it's far from us, because, you know, even if the pipeline is far away, eventually we'll all suffer from it. Another quote that I really love for discussions of solidarity is from an Indigenous Murray woman, Lila Watson. Paraphrased, it's, if you come here to liberate me, you're wasting your time. But if you come here because our liberation is tied together, then we can work together. To me, solidarity is recognizing that we're actually all in this together. The future that Wet'suwet'en land defenders want a future without coastal gas link is not only a much better future for the Wet'suwet'en community and Wet'suwet'en children, it's also a much better future for everyone. This is also something that Slato had said in our webinar. If we could all suddenly realize that we're all in this together and that so many of the ways in our lives that we are oppressed is actually all due to the same cause. And for working people all over the world, it's all due to the horrible legacy of colonialism in this country and imperialism elsewhere in the world. If we can get to that level of solidarity, then I think that's game over for oligarchs and the banks that are supporting them. Something that's really, really important for everyone involved in this campaign is. The reason we exist is to answer a call to action from land defenders. And we take very seriously that we are accountable to the land defenders. And this network is a network of settlers who are ready and willing and able to be accountable to land defenders. So, you know, if they change strategy, if they want us to focus in a different direction, if they want us to stop or go in another direction. That's what we're here to do. So I think that's one way that we've tried to be good allies and act in solidarity for this campaign. You have been listening to my interview with Kate Turner and Chantal Peltier about the Decolonial Solidarity Campaign. The next day of action in solidarity with the Wet'suwet'en people will be November 5th, 2022. So to learn more about the campaign and about how to get involved, search for Decolonial Solidarity on Linktree. 
To find out more about Talking Radical Radio, the guests, the theme music, and the ways that you can listen, go to talkingradical.ca and click on the link for the radio show. On the site, you can sign up for email updates or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, iTunes, SoundCloud, and other platforms. I'm Scott Nye, a writer and media producer based in Hamilton, Ontario, and the author of two books of Canadian history told through the stories of activists, published by Fernwood Publishing. Thank you very much for listening, and I hope you tune in again next week. Thank you.